Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 5, that thank you, sir. I'm unpausing. Before I go to Ephesians, let me um, first uh, rehearse what the Holy Spirit said to me because it was such a holy moment as the last Sunday morning, the Holy Spirit spoke to me very emphatically some things for our church. And I want to um, try to express to you how, how clear he spoke to me and how emphatically he spoke to me. It wasn't, and let me preface by saying this, it wasn't something that should cause us fear, but something that should cause us great expectation. And he said this to me. He first of all brought to my remembrance Joshua chapter 3 and verse 4. And I'll read verse 3 and 4 to help us preface because in this text, Joshua is leading the children of Israel into the promised land and they're about to pass over the river and he gives these specific instructions. In verse 3 he says, They commanded the people saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you will remove from your place and go after it. So the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. And he said the, the, the presence of God is going to lead us, and the presence of God carried by their leaders, the priests, the Levites. So he said the Ark of the Covenant will lead the way, and when you see it move, when you see the Ark of the Covenant go forward, you also go after it, follow it. And verse 4, there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it that you may know. Listen, he's not saying don't come near it because we don't want you to get close to it. He said don't come so close to it that you can't see how it's moving. He said that you may know the way by which you must go. For you have not passed this way before, so that you may know the way. That's what he's saying. Position yourself to recognize when the Spirit of God's moving. Position yourself. Set yourself in a place in your life, a place of attention, a place of of focus, where you'll see and recognize and know as the Spirit of God moves. And he was saying if if they were to be in a proximity where they could no longer see where the... Because imagine a multitude of people. And then they, they come to a place where where did it go? Well, now nobody knows how to move. Nobody knows which direction. So for you and I, he's telling us he's leading us somewhere and he needs our attention. He needs our focus. He needs our, our uh, intent on that, on that, that leading, that we're purposefully listening to him as he leads us where we should go. Now, 
he brought those scriptures to me, but then he said something specifically. He said to me specifically, we are entering a season that will require, and the emphasis was on the word require. We are entering a season that will require the walk of faith. Now again, don't be afraid by that. You're a faith builder. You're built for this. What he's saying is that this is a time for you to become more of what you are, more, more in tune and in sync with how he's built you. You are a faith builder. He said, we are entering a season that will require the walk of faith, another depth of skill in walking in the Spirit. He was, in, he was giving more insight into what that walk of faith represents, another depth of skill in walking in the Spirit. It's not automatic. It's not something that we just get because we own a Bible or three translations or attend a faith builder's church. We have to develop skill in walking in the Spirit. We have to, you know, when you talk about the walk of faith, it represents your daily life. And so that means the thoughts that you're thinking every day. That, that means the, the way that you are responding to those people in your house, the people on your job, whether you're walking in love or not. It, that, that, there are a lot of different areas of our life included in that walk of faith. So he's identifying that the walk of faith is a walk in the Spirit. Guided by the Spirit of God who dwells in us. And then he said five specific things, five specific things concerning this walk of faith, this walking in the Spirit for us to give our attention to. Number one, know the leading with a certainty. Know the leading of the Holy Spirit with a certainty. We need to take and invest the time Interacting with the Holy Spirit so that we know His leading and we don't have to question for two days whether that was Him or not. That we know that was the Holy Spirit because He led me this way before and that's how He's leading me today. So know the leading with a certainty. And we talked a lot about that this morning. And, And in that we found out that the Holy Spirit would prefer to teach us on things that are not life-changing, drastic decisions in our life. Major decisions. He would rather teach us in the everyday things so that when we come to a major point that he needs our in, in, immediate obedience, that we're quick in that because we know that was him. And so we're going to go a little bit further in that and, and talk a little bit from that same perspective off some of the things the Holy Spirit lighted on this morning. Uh, but let me finish our five things that he gave me specifically for our church family to become skilled in. So number one was know the leading with a certainty. Number two is practice obedience. Practice obedience. Now... You and I, we're believers, we're Christians, we, we never intend to disobey God. It's not that we're willingly going out and disobeying, but what 
he emphasized to me in that is that there are some times that God will tell us something and we're slow to obey. That we're not, we're, we'll, you'll hear people say things like, you know, God's been dealing with me for the last five years that I needed to do that. He doesn't want to have to deal with us for five years. What if he could deal with us for one day and we just got it done the next day? And then we've got five years that, uh, that five years, there's a delay in every other instruction behind that. God's not going to give the next instruction because you haven't obeyed that one. Not you, them. Y'all are, y'all are quick to obey, right? Not you, them. That person who is dragging their feet about obeying God, he can't tell them anything else because they haven't been faithful to obey in that area. So he says, practice obedience. Practice obedience. And we're going to talk more about that in the weeks to come. But then he said, number three, develop humility and the love walk. And they are connected. Amen. They are connected. And you need them, you need the humility to walk in love correctly. A person who is developed, highly developed in love, doesn't have a pride problem. Amen. So, so you see, he says, develop it. And no matter where you are in your love walk, no matter what level of humility you're operating in, we can all come up to another level. There's, there's more, to, more ground to gain in those areas. And he's identifying this is important. And then he said this, number four, the fruit of the Spirit is vital. The fruit of the Spirit is vital. And I thought it was interesting that he used the word vital because it, in health, if you want to see the condition of someone's health, you take their vitals, their vital statistics. You want to find out where their blood pressure is. You want to find out where their, if, their, if their blood sugar's gone up. You, you test their heart. You, you check the vital signs, the vital signs. And he said, so that means it's life. And so when he says the fruit of the Spirit is vital, he's talking about to our life, to our life, the fruit of the Spirit. And often people spend a little more time over on the power side, the gifts of the Spirit, the more the, de- the demonstration of His power. And we definitely in- enjoy and encourage the, the moving of the Spirit. And, but we don't want to neglect the root system of the fruit of the Spirit and cultivating the fruit of the Spirit, he says it's going to be vital. And then finally, number five, trust in God. The trust in God, His ways, and His Word are safeguards. Trusting in God is a safeguard. Trusting in His ways is a safeguard. Trusting in His Word is a safeguard. He identified those three aspects of trust. Trusting in God His ways and His word are safeguards. We need those safeguards in our life. We need those safeguards. So over the next however long until we uh, prepare our hearts in these areas, I'm going to be teaching on it. Pastor said he's going to be teaching along some of these lines. And I want you to be studying. Don't wait for us to do all the studying and bring it to you. You go ahead and, and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you I know there are a lot of these topics that we have 
series about. We have it on the podcast. We have different teachings on the YouTube channel. You can go ahead and start feeding on it, but study along these lines because this is what the Holy Spirit is telling us that will prepare us. Now, for this walk that we are going to so um, um, diligently need to have in place. Now, this morning we talked about from Ephesians 5. Now let's go to Ephesians 5. And we will... Look at Ephesians chapter 5 and just identify what the Holy Spirit showed us from that this morning. Verse 15, see that you walk, he said the walk of faith, right? He said it's uh, required, this walk of faith is going to be required in this season. He said, see then that you walk circumspectly, and we found out that the word circumspectly means purposefully, it means worthily, and it means accurately. So purposeful and accurate talk about our our being on target. And he said, see that you walk purposefully, accurately, and not as fools, but as the wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, there he says it again, don't be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And, do not, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And we saw there was a contrast. He said, don't be drunk with wine or don't be stimulated or under the influence of the alcohol, but I want you to be stimulated or under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, a person under the influence of alcohol, they talk differently than they would talk if they were not drunk. A person under the influence of alcohol will behave in ways that they would not normally behave if they were sober. Amen? Why? Because the alcohol is influencing them. The alcohol is stimulating them in that area. Well, he said, I don't want you to be under the influence of the alcohol. I want you to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit so that he is directing how you're behaving, so that he is directing and influencing, remember, under the influence. He's influencing how you're speaking, how you're behaving, how you're conducting yourself. And I believe one of the the translations we looked at this morning said, Be constantly aware of how you're conducting yourself. Be constantly giving attention to how you're conducting yourself. That was the Weiss translation. So we're we're looking at this, and we we gave this morning more of a direction of looking at what Jesus taught us concerning the Holy Spirit leading us and how he teaches us, how he declares and announces and rehearses to us things to come. And he, he, his job, he's an expert at it. He's an expert teacher. He's an expert guide. The Holy Spirit, the more that... But he's a gentleman, and he's not going to force us to follow him. He's not going to force us to learn from him. He's not going to force us to give him our attention. But if we will be wise 
and we will come to him and interact with him. And, and this morning, we even saw that if we'll respond to him. That we, I, I gave you that story from Brother Hagen, and Brother Hagen said the prompting of the Holy Spirit came to him and said, with long life, I'll satisfy you. And he disregarded it and said, but I heard the voice speak a scripture that said, it is appointed unto man once to die. So I'm, he was preparing to die. And every time he felt the prompting, with long life I'll satisfy you, two times he disregarded it and didn't respond to it, but he just over, he pulled it up right here in his mind and reasoned. And that reasoning disregarded what the prompting of the Holy Spirit was. And so he said, but I heard that spectacular voice. I heard that voice and it was Scripture. Well, that third time that the Holy Spirit prompted him with long life, I'll satisfy you, he responded and said, is that in the Bible? And the Holy Spirit answered him. Now, the Holy Spirit would have answered him the first time and he could have, he could have had a better use of his day than sitting there all day long in that rocking chair waiting to die. He could have gotten up and enjoyed life instead of just sitting there waiting to die. But he was waiting to die because he kept reasoning away the prompting of the Spirit of God. And so the third time when he said, is that in the Bible? The Holy Spirit said, Psalm 91. And he said, I reached down and picked up the Bible that had been there all day long under my chair. (laughs) And he said, I opened it up to Psalm 91 and sure enough, There it was with long life. And he realized that he had been tricked. That it was not God speaking, even though it was spectacular, even though it was scripture, it was not what God wanted for him. And so he found this, he found out from that experience that you've got to let the Lord lead you by the inward witness. I look at that and I think, how. He learned that as, as a young man, just a teenager, here he is recognizing, even though it was a voice, I heard it was spectacular, it was speaking scripture. He learned that at the beginning of his ministry. We can also take that and apply it to our lives, that I want to be aware of how the Holy Spirit deals with me, how he speaks with me. So that I'm not spending my time going after things that it wasn't the Spirit of God leading me to do. And so we're, to, to be in this place of, of preparation, this place of sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, we need to go back and understand the condition of our heart and how it affects what we are, are hearing from the Holy Spirit. We lied. The Holy Spirit brought us into just a couple of those things. We kind of stepped into that area a little bit this morning. And so there's a couple of those areas that he's put in my heart to go back and cover in depth a little bit more. Mark 4 is where I want to look for a minute. And, and you'll have to, y'all believe with me that I won't get bogged down in all that is in Mark 4. Because Mark 4 I say bogged down. It's easy to get talking about the parable of the sower and point out every detail. But I'm going to stay on track today. And what I want us to see is not every detail of how the parable of the sower is is applicable. But we want to look specifically about the condition of the heart 
that is revealed in the parable of the sower. Can, can we help me look, look specifically at that? So Mark 4, and let's go ahead and read 13. And I'm going to read down through here because we want to make these comparisons. He said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will you know all parables? The sower sows the word, and these are they by the wayside. So they've asked Jesus, explain the parable of the sower. And he said, you mean you don't understand? This is like the key. This is like the answer key. This is like the Rosetta Stone. This is like the, what will unlock to you the understanding of all my other teachings. And he begins to explain to them that the seed was the word. And then he said that there was seed sown into the wayside where the word was sown. But when they have heard... Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their heart. So this heart was a wayside soil heart. What is wayside soil? I I needed to know this, y'all. I'm like, wayside soil? What is wayside soil? What does it look like? How would you define? Well, as a girl, I grew up in the garden. I, I grew up in my grandmother's house for about four years, and she had a garden. And there's a turn row. For if they have a tractor going down, or there's rows in between where you plant. So you've got, you've got your, your, your vegetables here, and then you're walking here. If the seed here is, is packed from where you've been walking on it. It's the wayside by the side of the road, it's packed. It's, it's the, because you've been walking on it. So seed doesn't get in it very easy. It's not cultivated ground. It's, it doesn't receive it. That seed's going to lay on top of it, and the birds can come and pick it up because it's not underneath the soil. It's on top. And so he said this first condition of the heart was the word landed on it but didn't get down in it. And immediately... He used in the description, the illustration in the previous part of the chapter, he said the birds of the air came. But then when he's explaining, he said Satan comes immediately. And what is he trying to take? The word. He doesn't want the word in the heart and getting down in the soil of the heart. So he comes immediately because it's still right up there. Now, Mark, uh, Mark says... What we've just read, but Matthew identifies a very important aspect of wayside ground that we do need to cover because what I want to see is the condition of the ground. Matthew, go back to Matthew 13 and see how Matthew identifies this. He said wayside soil was a soil that did not understand. Read verse... Uh, 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, that's why it's laying on top. That's why it's laying on top of the dirt. There was no understanding of it. Algebra. (laughs) 
algebra never got in my heart. The moment she put the alphabet on the board with the numbers, she lost me. And I closed down. I just closed down my mind. And I never went any further because the alphabet belongs over in my English class. What you doing bringing A plus B equals 9 up in my house? How do you get A plus B equals 9? I was offended about it. I was, I was hard packed. I was wayside soil. It came and I understood it not. She stood up there and explained it and I understood it not. And, and, and you know what? It was stolen from me. Hallelujah. So, so we're talking about the Word of God coming and someone not understanding it. And that's how the enemy can steal it. So that makes it clear that he can't just come and steal Word out of you. He's not just coming in and taking revelation from you. If you will say, even, even things that you can't explain... Begin to say, Father, I know your word is true. I don't have to be able to explain it all and be able to to know all the details, but I know your word is true. Amen? So that is an indication of the soil. Go back to Mark and let's touch these other soils. He said, there was stony ground. And he said, the stony ground, he, when he described the stony ground, he said, it did, it, it did not have much earth in verse 5. Some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. In other words, the seed fell on the ground, and it started growing, but it was like dirt that was on top of the sidewalk. Right. Underneath that two inches of dirt, there's a sidewalk. And so it's beginning to grow because it hit dirt. And it's growing, but when it tries to sink its roots down into the place to get nourishment, the, it deep, deep into the water table, it can't because it keeps hitting that hard rock of the sidewalk or that layer of shale underneath that, that rock that has dirt on top of it. It's not going to get very deep. And that means it's not going to have very deep roots It's not going to be able to endure when the heat comes because it's not rooted. So heat's going to come, and it's looking for water, and it keeps hitting rock. Those roots are going down, and instead of finding water, they're finding the rock, and so they can't get any nourishment, and so there's nothing to keep the leaves on the trees or the leaves on the plant. And so the plant, when the heat comes out, the plant has no access to the water because there's no root system. And he said, he said this was stony ground. What did he identify in verse 17 about the stony ground? He said, when affliction or persecution arises, I'm going to stop and pull that prepositional phrase out for the word's sake. Pull that out. When affliction or persecution arises, immediately they are offended. The persecution... The affliction is coming after the word. It's coming to steal or destroy the word. Steal, kill, destroy is all right here. The enemy comes to steal, wayside. He comes to kill, stony ground. Destroy, the thorny soil. 
right? He's, that's what he's after. But when the affliction or the heat, the difficulty comes, they are offended. That offense, that's a condition of the heart. Offended. So John the Baptist had revelation from heaven. He said, the one who sent me to baptize told me, when I see the Spirit of God descending and lighting upon him and remaining upon him, that that is the Messiah, that is the Christ, that is the Christos. And so I testify to you today. He stood up publicly and said, I have seen the Holy Spirit light upon Jesus. Jesus is the one. But... Fast forward a few chapters when he's in prison and they're preparing to cut off his head. He's in prison and he sends his followers to go ask Jesus, are you the one? Why does he now question what he received by revelation? The condition of the heart. Jesus responded and said, tell him the blind are receiving their sight. The poor having the gospel preached unto them. The lame are walking. All of those were signs of the Messiah. And he said, and, and, tell him blessed are those who are not offended in me. So that was identifying. It was offense that was attacking the revelation he once walked in, the light he once walked in. The condition of the heart. So do you see developing love and humility, developing in humility and the love walk? How that will help us? That's the roots. That's the root system. That's getting the stones out. That's getting the stones out. Stones of offense. Stones of easily offended. Well, love is not easily offended. There's my answer right there. If I'm walking in love, I'm not easily offended. I'm pulling the rocks out of my my ground. So that they're not hindering. And then we see the, the, the final uh, soil that did not have results. It's not the final soil, but it's the final one where the problems were. It, these are those where the word is sown among thorns. They hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in. Circle that, entering, entering. Because if it doesn't enter, it won't choke it. They weren't, it wasn't there at first. So you could, you could even say this person had, had a clear heart at first because we have a growth of the word where the word has grown and it is productive and it says that these things entered in. You can stop that. I can stop that. I can stop the entering in. If I know not to let it in, if I know... To guard my heart, then I can stop the entering in of these things that would choke the word, making the word unfruitful in my life. Hallelujah. We can we can we can learn and develop skill in the guarding of the heart so that number one, we don't let our our heart get word, get get um wayside soil so that the word can't get into it we don't allow our heart to have offense or stones in it and we don't let the entering in of the cares of this world worry 
worry, anxiety? Well, listen, you're going to have to choose how much or if you watch the news if you want to guard your heart against the cares because they are, they are making money off spreading worry. They, they are, they're not good news, reporters. They thrive on bad news. They thrive on drama. They thrive on getting... I'm not saying that we need to be negligent or ostriches who stick our heads in the sand and not know what's going on. But there's a lot that you know that's not benefiting your life. There's a lot that you hear that you have to spend extra spiritual energy casting it down so that you can get yourself over into a place of peace. Amen? So, praise God. We're talking, we are responsible for what enters in. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. Riches are not evil. Money is not evil. The love of money is evil. But you can love money and not have any. Right? So it's the love of money is not is what is evil. Money in itself is is neither evil or or good. It's it's what the person who has it and that what they do with it that is a demonstration. We are people of God and we are generous and we're blessed and we are blessed to be a blessing. So the deceitfulness of riches is is things like, if I had more money, it would be better. Just let it be better now. Be better where you are. Be better with your ham sandwich right now. Amen. Just be better where you are and just rejoice with what you have. Because it's easy to say, oh, one day, one day. Just walk in the blessing now and not base your blessing on what you see. Base your blessing on what he says about you, what he's done for you. Amen. So a lot of people say, well, if I had more money, my marriage would be better. Your marriage is not better because of your money. If there are arguments, look at me, I'm closing my eyes. If there are arguments going on about the finances, it's not the money or the lack of money. It's the lack of love. It's that somebody is, is allowing the frustration and the worry of the financial situation to cause them to act in the flesh and not walk in the Spirit, and they're yielding. Not you, I'm talking about somebody else. They are yielding to the flesh and responding with words that cut and words that hurt, and you're welcome. That was worth you combing your hair and coming to church tonight. It's the love walk. It's the love walk. Do you see the condition of the heart? And so the deceitfulness of riches says, if I had money, it would be better. No, it's better because I'm bought by the blood. If I had money, my marriage would be better. No, my marriage is better because I I love my wife like Christ loved the church, and I I honor my husband and respect him as unto the Lord. I'm going to be a doer of the word, and that's why my marriage is good. Amen. Amen? So the deceitfulness of riches, and then notice the next one, was the lust or craving or desire for other things. Lust for other things, not necessarily sinful things. It can be a lust for things, a craving for things, putting something in a place of importance above the Word and above the things of God 
that will choke out. It's, it doesn't, see, the devil doesn't want you to know it's him. He doesn't come in broadcasting. He doesn't want any credit. He doesn't care if you ever give him any, any accolades for his attack on your life. He would rather you not think he's even there doing anything. So he comes deceiving. He comes subtle. He comes and, and, and just, well, there's nothing wrong with this until it's taken all of my attention and my time away from God. There's nothing sinful about golf unless you put golf in front of serving God and going to church and, and, and your family and other things. There's, you see what I'm saying? The lust for other things. So I want my desires to be burst out of my relationship with God. I want Him to, to help me formulate the desires that I have. You know, there's a natural thirst mechanism in your body. And some of you don't like water because you never drink it. Amen. If you'll drink it, your body will begin to ask you for it. It's a natural thirst mechanism. And the same is true about, about our, our natural, our spiritual thirst. If we'll, if we'll start drinking of the word, we'll, we'll develop a hunger for the word, a desire so that we're like, you know what? I don't think I want to turn that on. I think I want to go back and watch the service from Faith Builders the other night. I don't think I want to watch that. You know, I... They're, the appetite that I have for the things that are going in my eyes and ears, it's not religious. I really want to watch it. I really enjoy watching preaching. I really enjoy listening to worship in my car or listening to a sermon in my car. I get so much more out of it than just uh, the natural stuff. I've, have you ever just watched something and thought, I have wasted my time? I have just wasted an hour of my time. But when I get done watching a message on faith, I get done feeding on the word. I never come out of there saying I wasted my time. I always come out saying I got something out of that. Amen? It's the thirst, the appetite, the condition of the heart. Now, why is this important? What is, is some of the, the importance of this? The heart... The Bible says the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord. The heart is the spirit. That's in Proverbs 20 and verse 27. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord or the lamp of the Lord. We don't use candles for light in this day and age. So we could say the light, the light fixture. If God wants to bring light to you, he's going to do it in your spirit. That's how he wants to enlighten you about his plan or enlighten you about how to respond to that situation or the steps to take or what purchase to make. He's going to shine the light in your spirit, your heart. Well, if the condition of my heart is cluttered, if the condition of my heart is full of wrong things, like the thorns that I've allowed to enter in, 
then it's going to choke out that light. It's going to choke out the word. The word's not going to be able to lead me into that decision if my heart is not in the right condition. So what is one of my favorite verses, I say it all the time, Proverbs 4, but look at it anyway. Even if you've read it every day last week, please open your Bible to Proverbs 4 and look at it again because it is vital. He says, verse 20, attend to my words, incline your ear, let them not depart from your eyes. So in the ear, we need the words in our ears and we need the words in our eyes. How else are we going to get it in the heart? You can't get it in your heart by the laying on of hands. You can't get it in your heart by carrying your Bible everywhere you go. If you don't open that Bible and put it into your eyes, it won't get into your heart. The only way to get it in the heart is through the eye gate or the ear gate. These are the gates. These are the entrances. These are the openings into your spirit. The spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord. And he said, then in the next verse, he said, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Verse 22, they are life unto all that find them and health to all of their flesh. So the word getting in my ears and in my eyes collects in my heart and it changes into a substance of life. The word transforms in the heart just like the gasoline that you put in your, in your tank it doesn't stay wet volume of gasoline. It goes into the engine and goes through combustion and turns into energy that propels your car forward. The word goes into your heart through the hearing, through the seeing, but it goes in and it produces faith that moves you along. So he said, the word in your heart is life and medicine. You, walk, you, you are filled right now with a container in your spirit of medicine, God's medicine. You've got the prescription of God himself. The greatest medicine on the earth is resident in your heart this moment. He said what's in your heart is medicine to your joints. It's medicine to the organs of your body. It's medicine that will drive out emphysema, diabetes. It'll drive out uh, dementia. It, the medicine of God is in your heart. It's in your heart. The life is in your heart. He said, these words are life. They are life to all that find them, and health to all their flesh, keep your heart with all diligence. One translation, maybe it's the Amplified. Show me real quick the Amplified. It, it gives the in, indication above all. Keep your heart with all diligence. Keep and guard your heart with all vigilance, and above all that you guard do you have locks on your door? Does your car door lock? 
How many of you lock your car when you get out of your car to go into the store? You lock your car, don't you? Do you lock your house at night? Do you have a lock on your phone, a password that you have to have to get into your phone? Right, a password on your computer? You've, you've got all these different areas locked. But he said, above everything else that you have a lock on, that you have a guard on, above all these things, you need a safety on your heart. You need to have a guard over your heart. You need a password over your heart. You need some password protection going on so that not anything can get into it. Not anybody can get in there and put something in your heart. So he said, above all that you guard, above all that you guard, above all that you have protection in, protect your heart. Guard it with vigilance. Guard it with with diligence. Guard it with a, a seriousness. Why? Because my life, not just my physical life, every aspect of my life as a believer is connected to what's in me. Hallelujah. So he said to guard it. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Now, while we're here in Proverbs, I want to look at Proverbs 16 and verse 9. Proverbs 16 and verse 9. He said, a man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. A man's heart devises his way. Devises his way. What does that mean? It, it, it's the planning, the putting, putting it into uh, a plan. I'm making out the, the direction that God wants me to go. The man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Well, what if my heart is not in the right condition? What if my heart is not guarded so that the Lord can direct me clearly, so that the Lord can direct me effectively. He tries to direct me, but I've got all these other things that I've allowed to enter in that are, are clouding what I'm hearing from God or, or sending mixed signals to my, to my mind. Now, for an example, let's look at James 1. Because James 1 speaks of this in verse 26. If any man among you, among who? The brethren. Verse 19, he's talking to the brethren. Save people. If any man among you born again, alive unto God, new creature in Christ. If any man among you seem to be religious, and that word is also spiritual. If any man among you seem to be spiritual. This is where we've talked a lot in the past about what marks spiritual maturity. Because when I first got saved, I thought those people who are moving in the gifts of the Spirit, they must be the most Mature people in the church. But moving in the gifts is as the Spirit wills. It's not a mark of maturity. Even 
even length of time saved doesn't mean anyone has advanced in their yielding and acting on the word. Yielding to and acting on the word. So a person can be saved 20 years and still be a baby because they, they're not applying the word to their life. And so he said, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridles not his tongue, but deceives his own heart. A man's heart devises his way. But a man can deceive his own heart and say things that his heart will try to produce. His spirit. If a man does not bridle his tongue, he's going to deceive his own heart. He's going to send the signal to his spirit that he wants something that's not what God has for him. One of my favorite examples is Brother Charles Capps. He said he had had a situation go in his business. He was a farmer for many years. I mean, big farm. He wasn't just like a farmer with a, a little field. He had acres and acres of cotton and wheat and, and different things, or soy or whatever it was that he... Cotton and soy, I think, is what he, he, he farmed. And, and it was a major, major farming and he said he had done it for 20 years successfully. As, as a young man, he, he just grew up and went right into it, farming. And he said, I had, I had practiced all of these things for 20 years. I was good at farming. And he said, I entered into a business deal with a man not following the leading of the Lord. And, and he said, the business deal went south. And I lost a lot of money. I mean, like $100,000 or something like that. He lost, uh, it, it was a lot of money. And he said, when that happened, I turned negative. And I started saying, it doesn't matter what I do. It's going to turn out wrong. If I go out there and plant shallow, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come a, a big rain. If I go out there and plant deep, it's going to, uh, come a, a, a frost or whatever, he, he, was, he was saying, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm going to do it wrong, and, I'm gonna, and he said, I had done it right for 20 years, I never had a problem for 20 years, I had been accurate, he was born again, attended church, he was faithful to his church, a Sunday school teacher in, in his full gospel church, but he didn't have the understanding about bridling his tongue. And so he started saying that, and he said, no matter what I did, I did it wrong. He said, I would go out and I would plant, and I would plant it too deep for, for the rain that would come, or I'd plant it too, too shallow and, and, and the frost or whatever. And so he said, I, I did that, and he said, what I was saying wasn't causing the weather to change, what I was saying was causing me to choose the wrong method. It was, it was his choice that was wrong. Before, he would be led of the Lord and make the right choice about which way to plant. Amen. But now he's telling his spirit, no matter what I do, I'm going to do it wrong. 
and it was sending a signal. It was deceiving his own spirit. Your spirit doesn't know that you didn't mean that. And so his words were deceiving his heart. An unbridled tongue deceives the heart. And that means to mislead. So Brother Hagen said in his book, Right and Wrong Thinking, if you think on the wrong thing, you're going to believe the wrong thing. If you believe the wrong thing, you're going to say the wrong thing. Brother Hagen said, if Satan can capture your thought life, he can defeat you. If Satan can capture your thought life, he can defeat you. Why? Because your thoughts are going to become words. And your words are going to help direct your actions. Hallelujah. Pastor Nancy Dufresne said, if the devil can get you to believe the wrong thing, he'll have you living the wrong way. She was here one, one time that she was ministering here at our church, and we were in the car waiting. Pastor was about to come out, and we were in the car about to take her back to her hotel. And she, she looked at, she was just looking out the window, but speaking out of her spirit. And she said, wrong thoughts are just shovels that dig you into a pit. Amen. Wrong thoughts are just shovels that dig you into a pit. So the thoughts that we think can deceive our hearts if we put them into our words. If if we have an unbridled tongue, it will deceive the heart. Matthew 15 also identifies this as a truth. Matthew 15 and verse 11. Not that which goes into the mouth defiles a man, but that which comes out of the mouth, this defiles. What comes out of my mouth can defile. Verse 18, those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. The things which proceed out of the heart. Verse 19, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile, but to eat with unwashed hands defiles not a man. He said it comes out of the heart. It comes out of the heart with the mouth. So I've got to... Make sure that what I'm putting in my heart is not choked out by putting wrong things in. So that when I, when I reach into my heart, which is a treasure chest, I'm pulling out a good treasure. Because in the same book of Matthew, chapter 12 and verse 30, 34, he said, Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Verse 35, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Well, what have we treasured? It's not talking about the saved man. 
and the unsaved man, because there are a lot of saved people who've been treasuring up the report of the evil report. They've been treasuring up fear. They've been treasuring up worry. They've been treasuring up, I'm not going to make it. They've been treasuring up the wrong thing. And when they go to reach into their heart and pull out something, all they come out with, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how it's going to work out. Pray for me. Because there's no hope in there. There's no joy in there. There's no peace in there. There's no, there's no certainty in there. Faith is a, a certainty. Faith is a, a certainty. Faith isn't, come on, I hope so. Faith is a certainty. I'm not, this isn't a gamble. This isn't a game of chance. God cannot lie. God is not a man that he could lie, nor the son of man that he would repent or change his mind. It is certain. It is certain that by his stripes we are healed. It is certain. It is certain that we're blessed going in and blessed coming out. It is certain that when we give, it is given unto us good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. God causes people to give into our life. These are certainties. But they need to be treasured in the heart and pulled up the good, pulled up out of the good treasure, out of the mouth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to give you an example in Mark chapter 5, and then I'll hit my pause button. Mark chapter 5, let's look at verse 20. Mm, 25. A certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. So now we know her condition. We know that in the natural there is no hope. It is continually getting worse for her. But then it says in verse 27, when she heard of Jesus, came... In the press behind and touched his garment for. For means because. Why did she come in the press behind? Why did she touch his garment? Because. Because. There's a reason she came in the press behind. And there's a reason that she touched it. Why? The man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Is that what it said? The man's heart devises his way. What has devised her way to get her out of her house where she is supposed to be quarantined because of her condition? She's not by by Israel law allowed to be out of her house, especially not in the vicinity of people. And here she is in the press. She is, what is devising her way? What is devising her way? Her heart is devising her way. What's coming out of her mouth is coming from her heart. So we now know what's in her heart. What is in her heart? For she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be whole. That's what's in her heart. And her heart is devising her way. What if she had had... Everything I've tried, nothing's getting better. I've spent all that I've had. 
I spent all my money on all these different quacks who have not helped me at all. They put leeches on my body and sucked my blood out. They've had me do this and take this and drink this and, and hang upside down by my toes in the middle. I've tried everything. That they, and I'm, nothing is gone. She could have been saying all of that. But she wasn't because that was not what she had in her heart. She heard, and what she heard got in her heart, and it devised her way, and the Lord directed her steps. She was in her heart saying, I shall be whole. What was in her heart got in her mouth. And it led her out of her house through the press to reach out her hand and touch his garment. And Jesus said, woman, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. But her heart devised the way. Her heart devised the way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's what we've got to recognize. She kept saying it. She kept saying it. Every time she said it, she deposited it into her heart. Every time you say it, if you'll just keep saying it, that that which God has told you to say, that which came alive to you, that rhema word that came alive to you from the scripture, if you'll just keep saying it, don't let your head hinder you from saying it. Don't let what it looks like hinder you from saying it. Don't let how you feel hinder you from saying it. Keep saying it. I shall be. It shall be. My house is full. My house is full. They're in my house. Amen. You keep saying it. You keep saying what God has told you to say. Hallelujah. My child is following the plan of God for her life. That's what I'm saying. I'm just going to keep saying it. Why? Because it's going to devise my way. If she had not let the heart devise her way, if she would have just stayed in her house, she wouldn't have been in the position to touch and receive. But that consistent developing of the heart caused her to devise her way And the Lord directed her to get up out of her house and to press through the crowd and to touch his garment. That was the Lord directing her. But her heart was devising the way. Do you see how important this is now? What the Lord is telling us is that we need to guard our heart. And not just just the guarding and the protecting, but the purposefully putting in what we want to put in it. Putting, depositing in the heart treasure every day. Depositing in the heart treasure of light, treasure of the word. So that what we have in our heart is so much God's content that we're being directed and and devising the ways that will lead us into what God has for us. Amen? Pause. I'll be back. I'll be back. Stand with me to your feet.